Today we're going to look at, a, at what I think should be considered a Christmas passage. And uh, it's not a typical Christmas passage, but this passage does have a direct connection to Christmas. Because in the passage that we read today, it's going to use the phrase, declaring the mystery of Christ. And that is the opportunity that we have at Christmas time. So I know that, that, uh, that part of um, uh, what, as, as you all are in a transition period here in, uh, at Calvary, in between pastors and to between senior pastors, not in between pastors, but in between senior pastors, um, that, uh, that, the, that the leadership has been looking at three different topics. One is uh, leadership, the other one is evangelism, and the third one is discipleship. Is that right? Uh, sorry, outreach, outreach. That's, that's the second one, outreach. Um, so outreach and discipleship. And so, so today I want to kind of hone in on the, on the outreach piece a little bit and talk about that and, uh, and think about that, particularly here at Christmas time, because we have an opportunity for that here at Christmas time. Because more than any other time during the year, everyone around us is thinking through and thinking about things that have to do with the mystery of Christ. All other times of year, people, and when I say people, I'm talking about kind of the broad, um, the broad community here in Battle Creek and around, and around the country. But at other times of the year, we're thinking about things like Independence Day or Valentine's Day. Uh, we're thinking about other life rhythms like summertime or wrapping up school or trying to shovel your driveway because you have three feet of snow in it. But at Christmas time, everybody is interacting, having some sort of interaction, big or small, with the story of Jesus. Some sort of interaction, big or small, with the story of Jesus. There are Christmas songs that people hear on the radio that talk about Jesus. There are nativity scenes set up all over the city. Even the idea of Santa Claus is rooted in St. Nicholas. And so there are opportunities for us then to be engaged with people in talking about the mysteries of Christ. So I want to challenge you today. Usually the challenge comes at the end of the sermon, but I'm going to give it at the beginning so you can be thinking about it throughout, okay? But the challenge that I want to give to you as a congregation and to individually, you individually, is this, is I want to challenge you to talk to someone about Jesus who does not go to church and or who is not a believer. That's a challenge I want to give to you today. Now, I'm coming back in two weeks, okay? So when I come back in two weeks, I'm going to ask everybody to write down that. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. But, but I am going to come back in two weeks, and I'm going to follow up with that a little bit and talk about, and, and kind of continue on that theme of of, of Christmas and, and sharing who Jesus is with people. But I want to give you that challenge today to talk to someone in the next two weeks who is not a Christian and or who does not go to church. So as I'm talking today, I want you to be thinking about how you can use this Christmas, Christmas atmosphere to engage people in the gospel. Now, what I don't mean by that is I don't mean running up to someone and throwing a Bible on their face and saying, Merry Christmas, and then running away, okay? So we're going to talk a little bit about what what are some practical, based on this passage, what are some practical, easy things that you can do to start the conversation? 
Because I also want to say this, is that it is not your job, it is not my job, it is not the pastor's job to cause people to believe in Jesus. That is the Holy Spirit's job. People believe in Jesus because of the work of the Holy Spirit in their heart, not because of the effort that we have put forth. Now, the Holy Spirit uses us to have those conversations, but that takes the pressure off. The goal is not for you to convince someone and argue them into the kingdom of heaven. The goal is to say, hey, let's have a conversation and see what the Holy Spirit does. So that's what I want to challenge you today to do. So we're going to talk about some practical things. So uh, we're going to um, uh, give a brief overview of, the, of this passage before you actually read it. But um, so some context. Now, Paul, the passage we're going to read today is in Colossians chapter 4 verses 2 through 6. So if you have your Bible, you can open up to Colossians 4, chapters, uh, sorry, chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. And um, just a little bit of background. So Paul is writing this letter. He's writing it from Rome. He is sitting in Rome. He's sitting in prison. And he's writing it to the church in Colossae, which is in Greece. And some of the themes in this book broadly are about the supremacy of Christ. It's about putting off the old self and putting on the new self. And he also addresses topics like he does in many of his books, Paul does, about husbands and wives, parents and children, masters and servants. And in this, he's not just addressing part of the church, okay? He's addressing the entire church. He's not just addressing the deacons or the elders. He's addressing the entire church. Because when we get to this next passage, he uses... Uh, he, he talks about the role of the people in Colossae in sharing the gospel. And it's, it, we're, it's phrased on the slide up here, um, taking up the conversation. That's the third theme we're going to talk. That's the theme we're going to hone into today. And, and that's not in the passage, but I'll tell you why it is that, that I've chosen that phrase. Um, it's not in most translations, probably. Um, but he's talking to everyone. And I mention that because sometimes we as members of the congregation, and I say, and I include myself in that because I'm, I'm not a pastor, I'm here preaching, but I'm not a pastor, and so in, in, in when I'm sitting in church, I am a member of the congregation, okay? I mention that because sometimes we think that it is the pastor's job to do ministry. It's their job to teach. It's their job to pray for others. It's their job to share the gospel, and that, that's true, right, okay? That, that's part of their job, but it's not only their job. It is the job of the entire congregation, and in fact, the job of the deacons and the elders is to equip you, to equip all of you for the work of the ministry. That's their job, okay? So when Paul is saying here, when Paul is talking about this in this next passage, he's not talking to a subset of the church. He is talking to the entirety of the church. So let's keep that in mind as we read this passage. So let's read the passage. It'll be up on the slide, and then it will um, also be, uh, you can read it in your, in your Bible. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open the door for, to us, may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This whole passage about, is about declaring the mystery of Christ, but I want to hone in on verses 5 and 6 and highlight 
four phrases from this passage. Okay, I'm going to quickly highlight four phrases from this passage. The first phrase there is make the best use of your time toward outsiders in verse 5. Well, what's Paul talking about here? What does he mean, make the best use of your time towards outsiders? Well, we need to get that context. We look back a few verses, and Paul is talking about his opportunity that he has had to declare the mystery of Christ. That's what Paul has the opportunity to do. Even while he is in prison, he is declaring the mystery of Christ to the people around him. And so Paul says that the church in the Colossae needs to do the same thing. And then for us, we have that responsibility and that opportunity. It's both a responsibility and an opportunity to do the same thing, to declare the mystery of Christ. And I think that the mystery of Christ is a great way to approach the story of Christmas because there are a number of mysteries, especially to someone who is not grown up in the church or who is unchurched or does not believe in the Bible. There's some mysteries there. What is the virgin birth? What does that mean? What does it mean physically? Why is it significant? Another Mystery might be the angels. We don't usually deal with angels in our culture. The, the, the spiritual realm is not something that most people put a lot of time and effort into thinking about. It's strange. The shepherds and the angel, they go into town. What do they do? They worship. That seems a little bit strange. And the greatest mystery of all, God is with us. And how does that happen? And why would God want to do that? There's all sorts of mysteries in Christmas that people want to, that people might have questions about or want or be interested in talking about. But the mystery here that Paul is talking about is actually the mystery of Christ's death and resurrection on the cross and the salvation that we have in faith. And he's talking here about sharing the gospel with people, talking with people about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And Paul asked them to pray for opportunities to declare the mystery of Christ, pray for those opportunities. So that seems like a good thing. So I want to give you another challenge here, Okay. In your small groups, in your Bible studies, in those, in those smaller units that you have where you engage with each other, to pray with each other about someone who does not know, who you, sorry, who you might be able to share the gospel with. Start praying together, Lord, who can I share the gospel with? And I guarantee you, God will give you those opportunities to do that. If you ask him and say, Father, give us, give us opportunities to declare the mystery of Christ, he will give you those opportunities. So I challenge you to pray for that in those groups. And so we're to make the best use of our time towards outsiders to declare the mystery of Christ, to, to share the gospel with, with them. And in this passage, it is not... He's, Paul is not suggesting this. He's not saying, well, you know, it's a good idea maybe if you do this. You know, maybe you should think about it if you have time, you know, if you finished, if you finished your chores for the day, or if you, if you, you know, he's saying, you know, let's, this is something that we need to do. Now, I'm not suggesting here that we take all of our time to do that, that we spend 40% of our time at work declaring the mystery of Christ and 60% of our time doing the work that we've been hired to do. What I'm saying is, is that there are times when we can take those opportunities, whether at work, in our families, with our neighbors, to declare the mystery of Christ. So that's the first thing, declaring the mystery of Christ. The second thing is walking in wisdom. 
And so as we are declaring those mysteries, as we are engaging in those conversations, we are to walk in wisdom. What does that mean? I think it means three things. The first thing is that it means knowing when to speak and when to be quiet. We're going to get into this a little bit later about, about how do we have those conversations, but when do we speak and when do we be quiet? Because we don't need to say all the things on our mind. And some people are like that. They want to just say all the things that they have in their mind, and some of those things are good, and some of those things might be better said at a different time. So knowing when to speak and when to be quiet. It means knowing, so wisdom also means knowing what scriptures to share and when. Certain scriptures are useful for certain times, and other scriptures are useful for other times in people's lives. It also means walking in the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives us the words that we need in order to share with people. And if we step back and we say, okay, Holy Spirit, give me the words to share with this person, he will give you those words and he will give you that wisdom. So that's the second thing, walk in wisdom. The third thing, be gracious. As you talk with people, it means that we think the best of people and we think the best of what people mean. When we communicate with people, there are opportunities for misunderstanding. There are opportunities for us to uh, um, maybe even on our end say something that we didn't quite, it comes out in a way that we didn't quite mean. But having that, have, having our, our, our speech be seasoned with salt to be gracious means that we think the best of what other people are saying and we think the best of their intentions. It also means that when someone reviles us, that we do not revile in return. When we are gracious with people, even if they do not respond, or if they think that we are less than because we believe in God or believe in Jesus or go to church, that we do not revile in return, but that we return that reviling with love. So the third thing there is be gracious. The fourth thing is, is how to answer. And this is where we're going to spend a little bit more time here. The fourth thing here is how to answer. Now, here in the, in, as the phrasing, as, as the translation says in, uh, in most of our Bibles, is that, is that it, it's phrased um, that, you, that you know how you ought to answer each person. That's the phrase that, that the ESV has, okay? But, and, and when we read it, when I, when I read I should say, when I read it like that, when I read it like that, it sounds, it sounds maybe to me as an invitation to a debate. So we know how to answer people. We know how to, we know how to stick it to them. We know how to show them what we know and how they're wrong and how I'm right, okay? <clears throat> and it also might come across as reactionary that when someone disagrees with us, then, we, then it's time for us to present an argument for our position, an argument for our theological beliefs, an argument that supports our true statements, that we have to defend our position with reasoning and proofs, okay? Now, there are moments when we need to do that. There are times when we need to engage with people uh, in defending our faith through apologetic means, but remember this, no one is ever argued into the kingdom of heaven. Nobody ever believes in Jesus because I have good arguments, Good arguments might break down some walls and some excuses that people have, but that should always be done in love. It should always be done very, very gently and very, very gingerly. So, but when we read this phrase here, when we read this phrase, um, uh, um, know how to answer, um, and well, another thing here is that I, I mention this because, because I think in particular, the atmosphere in our culture right now is one of, is one of, is kind of, our backs against the wall, no matter what kind of perspective you're, you're coming at anything from, whether it's politics or religion or whatever it is, just the, the, the tenor of conversations is backs against the wall, okay? And so then that puts up our flags to say, how can I 
protect myself and, 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 and engage in conversations in a way that, that kind of protects me from arguments that other people have, okay? And, um, and so we gear up for those debates and those defense and we start typing away on our thumbs and on Facebook or Twitter or whatever it is. And, and that's, that's kind of how it is. So we read that and we think, okay, that, so, that sounds to me, that, that my, my first thought on that, my, my initial reaction to that is, okay, I need to defend my faith. But let me give you a different phrasing here. Let me give you a slightly different phrase uh, on what that is. Let's go to the next slide there. And it's this. Another way to read the Greek phrase there that is in that passage says this. It says that we can take up the conversation with someone. So in declaring the mystery of Christ, we can take up that conversation. We can engage people in a conversation. And I think that that's helpful for me to understand how, what this passage is saying and how we can do that. Okay, so how do we do that? How do we take up the conversation and what does that look like? Well, there are four things we're going to talk about that I'm going to talk about now, okay? The first thing is there, and uh, we'll go to them in a minute, but the first, there's, three, there's four things there, gospel stories, gospel witness, gospel message, and gospel response. And we're going to talk about all four of these things because when we talk about sharing the gospel, we, different people mean different things by that. And sometimes we're, we're talking about just one part of it, maybe the gospel message or just the gospel response. But in reality, in the course of a conversation or a relationship, we often need all of those things in order to engage people in the gospel, okay? So we're going to take up the conversation. Now, the first question is, before we even get to, the, to this, how do we even start the conversation? How do you start the conversation with someone, okay? And... Like I said at the beginning, use Christmas over the next two weeks. Christmas is full of imagery of Jesus. Use Christmas. It's the prime time to talk about Jesus because that's our foundation. So here are some things that you can, so, so here, let me give you some questions that you can ask someone just to, just to get it started. Hey, what do, you know, what do you and your family do for Christmas? I'm really curious. And when you ask the question, it's a genuine question to let them answer and, and engage in a conversation with them. Don't let them give one sentence and you get to, well, let me tell you about Jesus. It depend, I mean, sometimes you might do that. That might be appropriate to the conversation, but usually not, okay? So ask people, what, what does your family do for Jesus? Or sorry, what does, your, what does your family do for Christmas? And let them tell you. And then... Another question you can ask is, hey, man, you know, Christmas is all about Jesus, and we, and, you know, that's, that's a big part of it for us in our household. I'm curious, what, what do you think about Jesus? Again, genuine question, to genuinely hear what people think and believe. What do you think about Jesus? And then you can ask follow-up questions to help you understand what they mean, what they mean by things, right? And that's one of my favorite things. What do you mean by that? Why do you, what, what do you, what do you, like, when you say this, what's, what do you, What's behind that? Because whenever we say something, whenever we give an opinion on something, there's all sorts of things back behind that that, that inform that statement and opinions and assumptions and experiences. So, so, so asking people follow-up questions to understand what they mean, why they believe that. And then another question you can ask is, hey, can I tell you, can I tell you my experience? Can I tell you what we do for Christmas? Can I tell you what I think about Jesus? Okay. Now, in that, you're asking people a question. You're inviting them into the conversation. And I've asked people this question before. Hey, you know, what do you think about Jesus? I remember I had this conversation once with someone. I said, I said you know, I said, I said, what do you think about Jesus? He goes, eh, I don't know. 
He was not interested at all in having the conversation. And so I know, then, then we're kind of done with that part of the conversation, right? He doesn't want to take up the conversation. So I don't, I don't need to make him have the conversation because, again, it's not my job to convince him to follow Jesus. It's my job to take up the conversation. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convince him and to turn his heart. And if he's not interested in having the conversation, then I move on. Okay? <clears throat> and, and I think this is in line with how... Um, sorry, I'm getting lost in my notes here. Uh, I think another aspect of conversation is this, is that we are the ones that start it. We are not going to wait for people to ask us. And this is a common thing that I hear people talk about, um, and, and you hear it you hear in face, is that, is that, well, you know, we want people to ask us what we believe, and so we kind of wait. Now, waiting, I think, is sometimes an excuse not to do anything, but, but sometimes we wait, and we say, okay, well, someone's going to ask me about what I believe. Someone's going to ask me about what I believe about Jesus. Sometimes that happens. It usually does not. So I think that we're the ones to take up the conversation, and I think that this is in line, direct line with the Christmas story. Because God did not wait to take up, he did not wait for us to take up the conversation about salvation with him. He is the one who initiated that conversation in Jesus. He did not wait for Mary to ask him when the incarnate Son of God would be miraculously placed inside of her. Emmanuel, God with us, does not mean we brought God to us. So the Christmas story is a story of God taking initiative with us, and all of our stories with Christ is Christ taking initiative with us. And so in that, we take initiative with those around us. So that's how we start the conversation. Just ask people a question. Hey, what do you think about Christmas? What do you think about Jesus? And see where that goes. All right, now, let's go to the first one, gospel stories. When we're talking about sharing the gospel, the first thing here are gospel stories. What these are, are these are stories about Jesus from the Bible, okay? And it's natural to share with people the Christmas story. Hey, can I share with you what the Christmas story is, what we talk about? That's an that's a immediate, easy one to do with people. Hey, can I just share that with you, what we believe and what we do? <clears throat> and sometimes people are curious about that. And there are so many things in the Easter story that lead us, sorry, in the Christmas story that lead us to the Easter story, right? So we can use that to lead us to the Easter story. The name Emmanuel, it means God with us. So that's an opportunity to talk about why Jesus came. And as you hear people talk about their own lives, as you engage people about their own stories, those stories will have a connection at some point in some place in the stories of Jesus in the Gospels. For instance, if someone says that they are feeling, now they might not say this on your first conversation with someone, but if you have a good relationship with someone and they're saying, man, I'm just really discouraged and I'm feeling really unloved. And they might not say it like that, right? Most people don't say it, I, I'm feeling unloved, but they might say that. Is What does Jesus say about his love for us? If someone is sharing about sickness in their family, what does Jesus say about sickness? And what does Jesus do about sickness? Those are opportunities. Now, again, asking people, right? Hey, can I, can I share this story with you? You've shared something really important. Can I share something with you that I, that I have found meaningful for me? And if they say no, then, then don't. But most people will say yes. One time I uh, was, um, and, and you never, and you ne let me also say, you don't always know which stories are really going to connect. 
and when and what meaning they have for people. I'll give you an example. I was one time talking with someone. I just met this person. He's a new believer. And uh, um, someone had, had brought me to him to talk with him. And so the two of us, the three of us were sitting there talking. And, and I was just listening to his story and, and, uh, and, and how he'd become a believer. And at one point as he's talking to me, he tells me about this dream he had. And, he has this, and he, his dream was is that he had gone in he had, had gone into this gate, through this gate, and in this gate was this massive, massive building with all of these windows in it. And the passage that came to mind was the story when, Je- when Jesus says to the disciples, do you not know that where I'm going there are many rooms? If I had not told you so, uh, I'm butchering it a little bit, but, 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 but he says there are many rooms. So I took him to that passage, and I, and I read it for him, and he just broke down in tears, weeping. That was one of my only interactions with him. The other person that we were with, they, he took that relationship and he was discipling that person. And uh, so I'm not, sh- so even to this day, I don't really even know what, why that was so meaningful for him, why that meant so much to him. But that's my point is that it doesn't matter that I knew why it was so meaningful to him. The point was is that, is that as I'm entering into conversation with people, as we are entering into conversation with people, sharing stories that the Holy Spirit brings to our minds can have a huge impact. So the first thing is, is, is sharing stories about Jesus in the Gospels. That's one thing that we can do. Okay, the next thing, Gospel witness. Gospel witness is your story about how God has changed you, what he has done for you. When we say witness, witness is what we have seen and what we have heard. In your life, how God has met your needs of love, friendship, compassion, and also how the church has done that for you, how the wider body has done that for you. Because God doesn't just work with us individually, he works through the community. How has God done that for you? Because your story is powerful. People connect with stories. People usually don't connect with theological propositions. People connect with stories. And nobody can argue with your story. Your story is your story. And when you share your story, you're not trying to argue with someone else. You're just sharing your story. And your story has meaning. It's those hardships and pain and twisted paths that you have experienced that can be similar to what other people have experienced. And as you process some of those things that hurt, and how God has entered into that, and you tell that story, that can be like fresh water for a dry and parched soul. So your story is important. Now, I'm not saying that the first time you meet, with some, you meet someone, you say, well, let me tell you about everything about my life. That's not what I'm saying here, right? But as the relationship develops, as in commensurate with the deepness of your friendship with someone, what are those stories that you can share about how God has met your needs, right? <clears throat> the next one, the gospel message. All these things lead up to the gospel message. And the gospel message is this, that we were created for a relationship with God. That's the first thing. The second thing is that sin separates us from God. The third thing is that Christ died according to the Scripture and was raised on the third day for our sins. 
And fourth, that if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and repent from our sins, we will be saved. That's the gospel message. Okay? And if this is not communicated to someone, whether by us or by bringing the message through other mediums, then we are missing a critical component of gospel sharing. If we do, we can get to this part without the stories of the of, of Jesus, the other stories of Jesus in the gospel, and without necessarily our gospel witness. Though those things, I think, are are really helpful. But if you do not have this part, it is not the gospel. If you do not have this part, it is not the gospel. And there are many ways to do this, right? Sometimes it's us sharing that with people. Sometimes it's us sharing that with people. Okay? And we can do it verbally. Sometimes we can let people read it in Scripture. The first thing that Jesus says in the book of Mark is this, repent and believe in the gospel. That's the first thing that Jesus says. So you can take some of that and say, hey, what do you think about this? I mean, what Jesus says is crazy, right? But, but, but what do you think about it? So you can take people there and have them wrestle with it. We can have them, I mean, there's so much stuff on YouTube. I bet you there's a million videos on YouTube that are good gospel presentations. Let someone watch that. And I don't mean send it to them and say, hey, think about that. I'm, say, I'm saying send it to them and have a, or, or sit with them and watch it and, and have that conversation. Engage people in a conversation about it. Okay? But it, it, and it could be that, that you, bring them, you bring them to church and they hear that gospel message or to a church event. But at some point, this message needs to be shared with that person. This needs to be a part of the conversation. You might get to this in the first conversation. You might get to it after a while. Okay? But it needs to be part of the conversation. Because this helps us explain why we have that pain. We talked about the, the, the stories before, your witness and gospel stories. We ask, what, well, why do bad things happen in the world? Because there is sin. And what does God do about that? That's the arc of the story. Why is there sin and what does God do about that? The last thing, gospel response. It is not enough for someone just to hear the gospel message. There must be a response to the gospel. So when someone hears the gospel, the next question that we can ask someone, again, it's a question. We're not saying you should do this. You can, depend, again, depending on the relationship. But, but a great way to do it is just to ask a question. Man, Jesus offers this through his death and resurrection on the cross. Is this something you want? And literally using that phrase, is this something that you want? Is it something that you want? And sometimes people will ask that, on their, ask that question on their own. But oftentimes, we need to help them ask that question. Is this, or because they might be thinking it inside, but they don't necessarily want to verbalize it for whatever reason. Um, <clears throat> but us asking that question moves that conversation forward. And Jesus did that. Jesus sometimes would ask, ask people, do you want this? And I remember thinking, like, well, why would, why would Jesus, of course people want this this healing that he offers? Why is he, why is he asking people? Well, <clears throat> I think it's because sometimes people, unless you get people moving forward like that, they're not going to continue to take a relationship forward. They're not going to continue to take um, uh, the gospel message forward or how it impacts their lives. And so if someone says, well, yeah, <clears throat> man, I do want this. I am feeling alone and tired and, and just 
very downtrodden. People don't usually say that word, I guess, but, um, but I'm, feeling, I'm, I'm just feeling like I don't know what to do. Yeah, I do want this. This sounds really good. Then the answer is, is, the answer is what do I do? The question is, what do I do? And the answer is this, repent and follow Jesus. That's it. There's nothing that people need to do before that. And most people think, I was watching a, um, uh, a video on, on, online the other day, and it was some country song, and it was talking about this guy, like, I'm just trying to keep my children safe. And, I'm, and, and he says this, I'm just trying to go to church so I can stay out of hell, or something like that, right? And it's this idea that pervades our society that if we want to get salvation, we must do something to earn it. We must do something to earn it. But that's not how it works. We repent. We don't earn it, but we do repent and follow Jesus. It's all that we need. We accept the free gift that God has given to us. Because while God meets people's needs, God isn't here just as a Santa to give out gifts. God is not Santa. Santa is Santa. God does require us to submit to him. But Jesus does say this. He says that his burden is light. And submission to God is better than slavery to sin. But if we want the blessings of God, we also need to take up the yoke of Christ. Now, there is some mystery there as to, maybe that's part of the mystery of Christ that Paul is talking about, but there is some mystery there as to when, you know, God does enter into people's lives and, and meet their needs in order to draw them to him, and there is some some overlap there, right? But you cannot, a person cannot just sit in receiving the blessings of God and say, I'm going to get this, but I'm not going to follow. There's got to be that second piece there. So, if you have this conversation with your friend, what's next? Let me give you three things that you can do with your friend. The first thing is invite them here to Calvary Baptist. Invite them here. Let them come here because, A, you don't need to be alone. You are not a lone ranger out there trying to bring people in. It is a community. And oftentimes, people really feel God's grace through other people and through relationship in community. That's why community is so important. I think it's great that you guys are having that lunch later today. And if you were not planning on going to that lunch today, I think you should go to it because community is so important, and that's where God often meets people's needs. Okay. Now, if you see someone in the congregation who's brought someone new, go and introduce yourself to them. Just say, hey, my name is Josh. So happy you've been here today. Tell me about yourself. Have you been here before? Engage people. Second thing you can do. So that's the first thing, invite people to church. Second thing you can do, very similar, invite people to your small group or your Bible study or the Wednesday night program. So when I say Wednesday night program, kids, I'm talking to you too. This is not just for the adults. I told my kids here and my nieces here that later today I'm going to ask them about what I talked about today. <clears throat> so you guys are getting a test later on. But kids, this is, and teenagers, youth group, this is not just for the adults. This is for you too. Invite someone to those places. It can be less intimidating to come to a small group or a Wednesday night group, okay? <clears throat> the part of the story, you don't know my dad at all, but my dad became a believer because someone invited him to youth group. And when he went to youth group, he found friends there that he didn't have anywhere else. 
He's been a pastor for, I don't know how many years, 40 years, something like that. <clears throat> so just because you are not an adult or don't have a full-time job does not mean that you cannot also share with someone. So in two weeks, kids, I'm going to ask you guys too. And I'll tell you what, I remember, sorry, I'm getting off my notes a little bit here, but, but I, I, was, I, I remember another story a kid was, that I know was, um, had been in some Bible class and had learned about a bunch of stuff in, in, uh, um, in, in his class about Jesus. And, and so later on, went into his class at school and just kind of walked in and said, all of you need to believe in Jesus. I'm not sure that all the kids understood what he was saying. But you know what? Kids, you can invite your friends to do that too. Here's the third thing that you can do. It's a little bit more intimidating but it's actually not very hard if you try it once or twice. Invite someone to read the Bible with you. You can do that too. Invite someone to read the Bible with you. Say, hey, man, we're just talking about Jesus here. You want to get together for coffee sometime and just read what Jesus has to say? Let's read the Sermon on the Mount. Let's read how Jesus dealt with these things that are difficult in our lives. Not everyone will be interested, but if someone is showing a real interest in what Jesus says and does, reading more with them might be just what they need. So it's the third thing you can do is you can invite someone to read the Bible with you. I'm going to wrap up here. Entering into gospel conversations with someone can be hard, and it can be intimidating. And the first time, it's practice, right? The first time you do it, it might not go well. It might feel to you unnatural. But it also probably felt unnatural to you the first time that you threw a football or the first time that you got on a bike or the first time that you tried reading a word on a page. But you got better because you practiced. Those things, are, those things take practice. Sharing the gospel with someone takes practice. Ministry takes practice. People get better at it. You get better at it. And the same is true with sharing the gospel and taking up the conversation. It takes practice to do that. And you will get better at it. You will feel more natural in doing it as you do it. So as I said at the beginning today, I want to challenge every person in this room today, no matter what age you are, no matter what your station in life, no matter how important or unimportant you think that you are, because none of those things matter, I want to challenge you to engage someone, engage someone in a gospel conversation. We talked about it towards the beginning. Just engage them in a gospel conversation and say, hey, you know, what, what, what do you do for Christmas? What do you think about Jesus? And see where that conversation leads. And see where it goes. And see what the Lord does with that in this Christmas season when we remember who Jesus is and we have the opportunity to declare who Jesus really is.